0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. That's God's word for his people today. You may be seated, and let's pray once again and ask for God's help. Father, on this Lord's Day, where we remind ourselves of the glory of the recovery of the gospel of grace and your glorious grace to your church. We pray that this day your spirit would illuminate your word so that your people may be encouraged and strengthened and deepened in their faith and in their love for you. And that those who are now, at this moment in time, far from you, would see Christ exalted. And upon looking at him, you would draw all people to him. And that today, you would continue through the preaching of your word, both here and in gospel preaching churches around the world. Call sinners to yourself, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. So do what we pray, in us and through us, for the glory of your name. Amen. Last Sunday afternoon, uh, if you're like me, you went home, ate lunch, and then watched the Lions really play pretty poorly, by a pretty big margin. And the game was very ugly, very early, and it never got better. And for many of us, we're like, these are the Lions that we're used to. They didn't run. They didn't block. They didn't catch. They didn't cover. They didn't tackle. And they didn't do it the whole game. So much so that we're like, this is who we're used to, not who we've been used to the last couple weeks. They, they look like a completely different team than the one we watched all season. How can a team doing so well seemingly turn the corner of their history and leave it all behind, all of a sudden look like a totally different team? Well, coaches and players after the game told us how. Several of them throughout all the interviews had one, one refrain that was similar through them all. They said, that's what happens when you're not on top of your fundamentals. That's what happens when you get away From the fundamentals. And of course, football is more than blocking and running and catching and covering and tackling, but it's definitely not less than that. It doesn't matter how smart or elaborate your game plan is if you don't execute the fundamentals. They are of first importance. And towards the end of his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says the same thing is true for God's people. It doesn't matter what our bank account balance is. It doesn't matter how many people attend on any given day or week. It doesn't matter how many ministries or gatherings we have filling our calendar. It doesn't matter how big the buildings are. If you lose sight of gospel fundamentals, everything will come tumbling down. And that's why Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel that he says he's already preached to them. He doesn't write to initiate a new ministry or a new program. He doesn't write of any innovations to their current ministries or programs. Because the way forward in the Christian life is to look back upon what is of first importance and to never forget it. And what is of first importance is the gospel. And Paul reminds them, he says, remember, look back upon to move forward. And what is true for the Corinthians is still true for us on this Reformation Lord's Day. So let's remember the gospel fundamentals in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 by seeing three things, the nature of the gospel, the message of the gospel, and the power of the gospel. The nature, the message, and the power of the gospel of the gospel. Those are our fundamentals. So first, the nature of the gospel. The gospel in verses one and two is described in four ways. Preached, received, we stand in it, and it's what saves us. So first, preached. The gospel is the good news that is preached. And just like we always have that overwhelming sense to share good news to our friends and to our neighbors and to anyone who will listen rather than hide it. So the nature of the good news of the gospel is it's something to be preached, to be shared, to be proclaimed far and wide. And it's good news because that word gospel comes from the Old Testament promises of God to bring back his people from exile. So the good news of the gospel begins and is rooted in these Old Testament promises to God for, uh, for God to save his people. Like in Isaiah 40, verse 9, it says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Well, what's that good news? Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So it's news of God fulfilling His promises to save His people. And we preach the gospel to share the good news that He's fulfilled His promise to save. Now, don't hear the word preached and think, well, I'm no preacher, and so I can leave this to the professionals. Because the noun gospel and the verb preach come from the same root, from the same root word. The noun, is, it means good news. And so the verb means something like good newsing, like gospel.com in our day or something like that. The gospel, its nature is that it is news to be proclaimed, which means the gospel and our preaching it isn't lear- limited to sermons. The the nature of the gospel is not limited to a certain section of time when the church gathers to sit under the word preached. It's something that we all share because it's the good news that's to be proclaimed from the mountaintops as we lift our voice up with strength. Behold, this is what God has done to save. And brothers and sisters, we we live in a world that is driven by bad news cycles. The, the, The media... Anyone that is in control of the news, they love bad news because it gets you to click it and keep turning in and and watching and seeing the updates and the, and the, the breaking news and all the attention. So how wonderful it is in a bad news world to have good news to preach, to share, to proclaim far and wide. And so that's why Isaiah calls us to lift up our voice with strength, don't be afraid. With joy, herald the good news. The, nature's, the gospel's nature is that it is to be preached. And secondly, the gospel is the good news that's received. Paul preached the gospel, he says, and the Corinthians received it. He proclaimed the good news and they accepted it as truth. They heard it and received it, accepted it. it they determined that what Paul was Saying, proclaiming was true. In, in our world, the the news fight is over narratives, right? The battle belongs to who can control the narrative. What's true doesn't really matter as much as who is in control of shaping what you think is true. That's that's the world that we live in. The fight isn't really over news, but over narratives. And that's why Paul and his word to us is so vital, that he's not saying to innovate the core of who we are. Even in our world, where the fight is really maybe at, at the most part over narratives and not news, we don't need to take up the weapons of the world and innovate who we really are as gospel people. We don't innovate, we stay true to who we are, and the fundamental of the gospel is that it is God's power unto salvation. God doesn't give us the task to save people. We can't make people receive it, in other words, Our task is to faithfully proclaim the only message that can save. So it's the Holy Spirit who opens blind eyes, unstops deaf ears, softens hard hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's prerogative. Our job is to faithfully preach it. And when it's preached, to know that its nature is to be received. In in other words, when God calls those whom he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, when the power of the gospel is declared, that behold, here is God, he's saved, it's received as the Holy Spirit grants ears to hear and eyes to see and gives faith and repentance in Jesus. That's what it means to receive. That message, that powerful message is preached, and the Spirit moves in God's people to receive it. So no one is saved by being born into a Christian family. We've had lots of babies born. Not one of them is saved by being born to Christian parents. No one's saved by walking into this room and attending worship service. No no one's saved by attending Bible studies. No one's saved by just simply reading the bible and checking it off as like it's something i do no one is saved by tithing or serving god saves sinners by his grace alone through faith alone in jesus alone as the gospel is preached and the holy spirit grants their receipt the reception of it preach it people receive it it's up to god how he works out the receiving but people receive it. The nature's gospel is that it is to be received, accepted as true. So the question becomes have you? It's preached. We pray, uh, we praise God that it's faithfully preached throughout the week here, and we pray that it continues to be faithfully preached. But the nature's gospel is not only that it's preached, but that it's heard and received. Have you? And even when you do receive it, that doesn't mean you then move on to other things. We need to be reminded of the gospel because, third, the gospel is the good news in which you stand. It's preached, it's received, and it's in which we stand. If you're a regular at an office or a a restaurant, you know how they always have the same kind of music on or the same television shows or channels on uh, playing every time you go in? You know, like, you enter an elevator, you know you're going to hear elevator music. You enter a business, you're going you're to have whatever they, their preferred news station is. You enter a restaurant, especially some of my favorites, and there'll be sports on TV. Well, for a Christian, what must always be playing is the gospel. Every, every time someone encounters us, what's going on in the background is the gospel. Because the nature of the gospel is not that it's where we begin the Christian life. The nature of the gospel is it's how we keep on living the Christian life. And the word stand helps us understand this, like how we keep living the Christian life. It's not our activity. It's not frenetic pace of keeping up, of checking things off, of of keeping a list of things that keeps me in the grace of God. It's not our doing That keeps us living the Christian life. It's our standing in what God has already done that keeps us living the Christian life. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't call us to to do things or that God calls us simply to do nothing, on the other hand. It means everything we do flows out of what God has already done for us in Jesus. This is the message of the back half of our series in Galatians that we just finished. Standing firm in the gospel is believing you don't live now for God's love and salvation. But now every day, because of what God has already done in Christ, we live from God's love and salvation because it's already ours in Jesus. So we do all have daily to-do lists. And you do, whether you write them down or not. And maybe depending on what season of life you're in, currently, you may have more things written down, or maybe very few things. But if there's one thing that we all have on our list as Christian, it's this. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm. Old, young, lots going on in life, maybe not very much going on in life. If you're in Christ, We all have one item that's the same on each of our to-do lists. Stand firm in the gospel. Because it tells us who God is and what he's done. Tells us what God is doing right now and where things are headed. It tells us who we are. And it reminds us of our life's purpose in light of what God has done. And it reminds us of what is of first importance. Each day. Both now and forever. So if you've received the gospel of grace, what we now do is stand firm in it. We stand in it. And so five points. Don't get very far in your day before reminding yourself of the truth in which you must daily stand. And then let that good news play in the background all day long. Keep it on repeat. Have it be what's playing in the background. Because, fourth, the gospel is how God's people are being saved. Are being saved. And throughout the New Testament, you'll find language like this God has saved. From before the foundation of the world, God saved his people. Then there's the gospel call and the call to repent and believe. The gospel's preached and then it's received. And yet, we're still being saved. It's it's how God is continuing to keep us as we wait for the last day, and we will be saved. Well, Paul here says the gospel is how God's people are being saved. The gospel is something for today, it's what we cling to, it's what we hold fast to. The gospel then isn't only the good news of what God has already done. It's also the good news of what God is doing and will do. Only emphasizing what God has done uh, is like being immersed in a page-turning novel that you just can't put down. And then you turn the page to start the next chapter and it's blank. And you're like, what in the world? Where'd the story go? Or you're got some Netflix show that all of a sudden grabs your attention. And you're at the end of season one and there's a giant cliffhanger. And then you realize they canceled it and didn't make a season two. You're like, whoa, whoa how, what have? The gospel isn't only the good news of how God has saved sinners. If that's all the gospel is to you, It's like you reading that novel that doesn't have any rest of the story, or you realizing there is no season two. You've left in the middle of the the most intriguing, gripping story in the universe. And so in addition to what God has done, the gospel is how God is saving and how God will save sinners in the end. And so five points, in addition to receiving and standing in the gospel, we must hold fast to it until our last day. For God's wrath against sin is coming on the last day and there's no salvation from God's wrath against our sin outside of Jesus. And so he says, stand in it, hold fast to it, cling to the gospel fiercely that you've heard preached and that you've received. Because if you turn to any other trust than Jesus, then it shows your receiving the gospel was in vain. It wasn't genuine. So cling to it. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Now, some begin to think that this makes our doing part of our salvation. Maybe we weren't saved by any part of our doing, but we're being saved by part of our doing. But verse 2 doesn't mean that some true believers may fall away from grace, nor does verse 2 make my doing essential to my making it through God's final judgment. It's very clear. It's not our doing that saves. But who we trust in that saves. And we'll we'll focus on that in a moment, the message of the gospel. But if we start by God's grace, then we keep believing by God's grace. We cling fiercely to God's grace. We hold fast to God's grace. If you believe the gospel genuinely. If you don't, it was in vain. Now let me encourage those of you who are prone to anxious self-examination when we come to verses like these. When we hear about believing in vain and if we don't fall away. Now our holding fast to the gospel comes through Christ's first holding fast of us. You only hold fast, receive the gospel, and stand firm in it through Christ first grabbing hold and holding fast to you. In John 10, the Pharisees demanded Jesus tell them if he was the Christ. And he says, I've already told you, you just don't believe. And you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And then he continues on in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Who started it? It's, it's God's gracious gift in Christ. And Christ says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. So if you genuinely receive the gospel as truth when it's preached, you're standing in it and you're continuing to be saved by it are not ultimately determined by you, but by God's grace alone. He's greater than anyone who can try and snatch you out of his hand. He's greater than your sin. It's God's grace alone. So your persevering in the gospel is only through God's gracious promise to preserve you in the gospel. In other words, true gospel receivers persevere to the end because Jesus preserves them to the end. And not one of his sheep will wander away, fall away, or get snatched away. And yet, and yet, we're still warned that only those who hold fast until the end will be saved. And again, that's not contradictory when we take a moment to think about it. Just as we were saved all by grace... So we are being saved all by grace. And we'll one day be saved all by grace. And so we hold fast to that grace. It's our only hope. Yes, it's it's Christ's hand that has grabbed us, and no one will snatch us out of it. And yet he calls us to grab hold of the hand that's holding us. And so we hold fast in that it's not anything that we can do that saves but we hold fast to the grace of the glorious gospel, that it was all Christ, that I have eternal life in him and that he's keeping me. He is my salvation. And so it is not anything that we can do that saves us, but all God's grace that we're being saved and will be saved one day. And so that's the nature of the gospel. It's preached, it's received, it's in which we stand and it's what we are being saved by. And so and after describing the nature of the gospel, verses 3 to 8 defines, secondly, the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. What is preached? What is received? What do we stand in? What is saving God's people? The message of the gospel. And again, the word news brings to mind facts of events being delivered. Right? Whether it's through Twitter or Facebook or you flip on a news. A channel, or a newspaper or a website, whatever it is, when we think about news, we think of events and the facts of those events being delivered. But when it comes to the good news of the gospel, what isn't delivered is simply facts. It's not only the delivery of facts that is the message of the good news of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of a person not just facts, but the delivery of a person. The gospel isn't simply the facts of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, not simply about Jesus. Now, this is... I was struggling all week to maybe summarize this helpfully in a short way. It is a huge subject because most of evangelical churches that we've grown up in had a tendency to preach about Jesus. Like, he did these things so that you could have these things. Rather than saying, here's Jesus, the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Here's Jesus, your salvation. There there was a tendency to, to separate who Jesus is from the benefits of what he did for God's people. And so this is way more than one sermon, uh, more than even a series of sermons. And so I just commend to you uh, for more on this and what it means that the gospel is primarily Jesus and we can't separate what he's done from who he is in the book uh, The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. It's, not, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. I attempt to read it every year. I read parts of it definitely every year. It's a a fantastic book on the nature of the gospel. But listen to this quote because I think Sinclair Ferguson helpfully uh, helps us see what it means that the message is not simply about Jesus or that God saves sinners through Jesus, but that it's actually our union with Jesus that saves. Because Jesus isn't a means to other things. Jesus is the thing. He is the gospel. And so Sinclair Ferguson writes this. He says, salvation becomes ours in Christ and not merely through Christ. He's not a means to something else. Jesus is the thing. Jesus Christ is able to save all those who come to God through him since his is the only name given under heaven, whereby we may be saved. Christ himself is the gospel. You're only saved when the Spirit unites you to Jesus. The Spirit doesn't lead you through Jesus to something else. It's in Christ that we are saved. Now, this doesn't mean we can't talk about the benefits. We don't swing the pendulum all the way other way. We never talk about the benefits of our salvation. What it does mean is that we must always remember that anything that is ours in salvation is only ours in Jesus, not simply through Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. And the good news of the gospel is the good news of Jesus, not simply benefits that Jesus gives you. And that's what we see Paul doing, isn't it? In this first section in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul first delivered to the Corinthians Christ. Listen to these verses and think about how you often hear the gospel presented or maybe how you even think primarily about the gospel. Listen to how Paul points to Jesus, 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 Jesus throughout this whole thing and hardly talks about the benefits of salvation that so often uh, fill our gospel conversations. Look at this at the beginning of verse three. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The gospel is Christ. The good news of Christ. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised. And then the resurrected Jesus appeared. The message of the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Yes, he died. He died for our sins. He wasn't a sinner. He died in the place of sinners as our substitute. But he was the sacrifice. He himself in our place. And that's what according to the scriptures points to. Jesus died at the hands of sinful men, but only because he laid his own life down. It wasn't taken from him. He laid it down. It was God's sovereign plan to crush his son, Isaiah 53. And it is Jesus who fulfilled all the Old Testament promises and what all the Old Testament pointed to. And Jesus was buried because Jesus really died. He wasn't faking it. It wasn't a hoax. He went into the grave. He was buried because he really died. And this is how it's Jesus that is the message of the gospel. Because it's Jesus who paid the wages of sin. And God made Jesus to be sin on his people's behalf. And he died and went into the grave their sin deserved. But praise God, death could not hold Jesus. Death couldn't hold Jesus. For he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And again, the main Point uh, passage I think Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 15 is Isaiah 53 here because it prophesied that even though the suffering servant would pour out his soul to death, he would then see. He would live and see his offspring. He would prolong his days and receive a portion with the many. The good news is the good news of Jesus. And Jesus often predicted his resurrection throughout his ministry that on the third day God would raise him up. And so, yes, the message is uh, the gospel message is that Jesus died for sinners, but never stop there because the gospel doesn't stop there. And it's not just about the benefits that his death granted sinners, but that Jesus is risen, he's alive, he is reigning, he conquered sin and death. Which means all those who have been united to Jesus by the Spirit through faith have also been risen to newness of life. It is yours right now. If you are in Christ, you're seated with him on high in the heavenly places. That is more true of you than you sitting in this room right now. If Jesus conquered death, then he's conquered it for all those who are united to him. And just as Jesus' burial verifies that he truly died, so Jesus, appearing to hundreds, verifies his resurrection. Because, let's just be honest for a moment, bodily resurrection is pretty hard to believe. But I don't think you've ever seen it. Right? (laughs) Everyone's like, "Uh." No, I've never seen it. And it was hard for people in Corinth to believe. That's why Paul's saying it. There's eyewitnesses. Now, of course, no one's going to just simply believe on account of eyewitnesses. The Holy Spirit must still grant faith. But it can never be said that the resurrection is historically false. There were people, when this was written, that they could go talk to that would verify they were an eyewitness of Jesus' bodily resurrection. They could say the empty tomb's not a hoax. His body isn't somewhere. I saw it. Jesus being raised to life isn't a legend. Hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Jesus. That's why Paul puts it here. It verifies that yes, he lived, and yes, he died. Yes, he was in the ground, but he is raised. He is risen, as he said. And because God raised Jesus, all those whose faith is in Jesus have been raised with him to newness of life. That's the message of the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. Not just a bunch of stuff Jesus gets you but Jesus. And on this Reformation Lord's Day, we then highlight what isn't part of the gospel message. You doing anything. What's of first importance? Jesus died, now you gotta go do a whole lot of things. There are nothing in this summary of the gospel of first importance that's not like, now you, you gotta do it. You gotta keep holding. You gotta... Stop doing this and start doing... You doing anything is not highlighted in any part of this gospel because the good news is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will one day do. It's Jesus. And so five points. If we lose that the gospel is fundamentally the gracious gospel of Jesus, we'll be like the lion's. Who maybe today are doing pretty great. And next week, all the wheels have fallen off because we've lost sight of the fundamentals of the gospel, of the glories of Jesus. We cannot lose the gospel of Jesus. Everything comes tumbling down if we do. Because the on, uh, excuse me, because only the gospel of Jesus powerfully saves sinners that's what we see finally the power of the gospel the power of the gospel in verses 8 to 10 paul puts the power of the gospel on display and he uses his own life story he says i saw the resurrected jesus even though i was untimely born and that that phrase there refers normally to miscarriages or premature babies and Paul, though, is not talking about his physical birth. He uses that phrase to refer to his spiritual birth. And of course, in those days, we don't have all the technology that we have today. Where often healthy babies wouldn't make it, let alone ones that are premature. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying the gospel of grace powerfully fell on me in spite of the fact That there was no human reason for God to be gracious to me. There is no reason that I am alive in Christ right now. in, In fact, not only am I totally unworthy, I'm the least of all apostles because I hated God. So, the fact of his total unworthiness to receive God's call to life in the gospel, Paul puts on display as a vivid picture of the power of the gospel. It wasn't me. It wasn't my birth. It wasn't what I was doing. And verse 9 proves it. He says, It's not only that I was just simply unworthy, I was totally against the gospel. It wasn't like Paul needed a little nudge, like he was 50 50 and just needed a little, and he'd be there with Jesus. Paul says, I wasn't even 99 1. He says, I was 100% against Jesus, so much so that I was killing Christians and persecuting Jesus' church. I would have done everything in my power to destroy the gospel. But God. The only reason Paul says he's in the position that he's in is because of the power of the gospel of grace. Look at verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. He has, he's standing so firm in the gospel, he's reoriented his entire life's identity around God's grace. He says, my heart is beating, my mind is working, my mouth is moving, my lungs are filling with air by the grace of God. And many of you have life verses, and I like to hear about those life verses because it often connects something of your life story, and it tells me a lot about you but verse 10 i think is one to consider as our life verse but by the grace of god i am what i am starts with god's grace and then gets to to you and for god's people that's all our stories isn't it i mean whether you were dead and enslaved to immorality stark and on display Or whether you were dead and enslaved to self-righteousness, that was stark and on display. If you are in Christ, you are only what you are today by God's grace alone. And not only is the power of the gospel on display in saving sinners, the gospel's power is on display in our daily lives. Look at the end of verse 10. It doesn't just save, it continues to power our daily lives. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So God's grace doesn't just power our saving, it continues to power our living. It's not just something that happened a long time ago and now we just continue on and we've moved on from grace. We start with grace, we continue by grace, and it will all be to grace to the praise of God's glory forever. Now, there are pitfalls, though, that people of grace need to be aware of. And that's what Paul gets at here. Paul warned of one of those pitfalls at the end of Galatians. Do you remember? He, he was saying, now, you're free in Jesus, but that doesn't mean you can just do anything you want. That's a pitfall of grace. Freedom in Christ is to live in step with the Holy Spirit as the Spirit bears It's fruit in our lives as our faith works through love. We don't just do anything we want. We don't live however we want. That's not what grace does. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tackles another pitfall. Grace means you do nothing. You see how easily we can just swing on these pendulums? We go from, well, grace means I can do anything. Oh, I can't do anything? Well, I guess grace means I do nothing we begin to think that way, that that grace means we can do nothing, or we do nothing now, uh, when we've bought the lie that God's grace only has to do with sin and guilt. That God's grace is limited to sin and guilt and shame. If you think that, then you think God's grace only is something in the past. God's grace does powerfully deal with sin and guilt and shame, but it doesn't end there. God's grace continues to powerfully work in and through those who have genuinely received the gospel. That's what Paul says. He says, Paul, God's grace grabbed me and it hasn't let me go. I work harder than anyone now. You think I worked hard to kill Christians and destroy the gospel? I work even harder now to proclaim the gospel. But then he goes, but that's not me. (laughs) That's God's grace in me. It's not me working super hard. That's God's grace. I like how Dallas Willard writes it. He puts it this way. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Do you see the difference? It's what Paul's saying. You don't earn God's love and favor. You have it in Jesus. Grace is opposed to earning it. It is not opposed to effort. Earning is an attitude, he says. A self-righteous attitude if you go on reading. Effort's an action. It's like you have that good news just bubbling up inside like a kid who can't keep still, and you just like have to let the energy go. That's what happens when the gospel is preached, and it's received, and we stand in it. It's being saved by it. It animates everything. It's our, it animates our thinking, our feeling, our talking, our living by grace. We work harder than anyone, but it's not us who works, but God's grace in us. The gospel so powerfully changed Paul it not, just, it not only changed his past, it also changed his present and his future. Do you see grace like that? Does the grace of God that powerfully saved you continue to powerfully orient your life around the gospel and glory of Jesus today? That not only are we a, a gospel-centered church, a gospel-believing people. We're a gospel-preaching people. A gospel-living people. Does the gospel of grace not just shape your past, does it shape your present? Because you're united to Jesus, so it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. To not lose the gospel fundamental of grace is to never believe that the gra- that grace is just about the past, but to remember, it's about the past and the present and the future. That it's grace that has saved us, that it's grace that keeps us, and that it's grace that keeps us unto the end. And so, friend, I don't know why you're here. I don't know what brought you here, but the gospel of Jesus has been preached this morning. And it calls everyone everywhere to receive this good news by faith in Jesus Christ. May you have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that trusts in Christ alone. And five points, again, isn't it wonderfully good news that it doesn't matter who preaches the gospel? That's verse seven. Paul's like, I don't care whether it's them or me or whoever. And it doesn't matter how unworthy you are. Because the gospel's power doesn't lie in us, but in God alone. That he doesn't even leave one minute percentage of it up to you because the gospel is the gospel of Jesus. And so as we remind ourselves of the gospel fundamentals this Reformation Lord's Day, may God give us the grace to hold fast daily to the gospel of grace and go out preaching this gospel of grace for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, I I pray more and more that we would never move on from the gospel. That we wouldn't swing the pendulum too far either way and we might veer off the gospel of grace road into these potential pitfalls that lie everywhere, that we would see that it's all you, and yet you call us to hold fast, that it's, that it's all you, but you call us to live in that grace daily. And so I pray more and more that we would remind ourselves of the gospel daily, that it would be what is playing on background throughout the day, That we would see its power continue to be active in us and making us more like Jesus. And that as we gather this morning around the grace of the gospel that you would now scatter us to our neighbors in the nations with the power of the message of the gospel so that more and more would worship you with us now and forever. All by grace. Father, we praise you that we are what we are all by your grace alone. And we pray now that as we leave and move into our week, that you would put on display in us and through us the glorious riches of your grace so that you both now and forever would get all the glory, we pray. Amen.